0: Chapter eight of the Vicar of Wrexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Wrexhill by Frances Milton Trollope. Chapter eight.--Mrs Richards and her Daughters.--The Tea Party. On the evening of that day, the three girls for the first time induced mrs Mowbray to go beyond the limits of the flower garden, and walk under the avenue of beautiful elms in the park the simple and unostentatious tone of her character had influenced all her habits and mrs mowbray was a better and more constant walker than ladies generally who have two or three carriages ready to attend them she appeared to enjoy the exercise from which for several weeks she had been debarred and when the end of the avenue was reached and fanny almost mechanically opened the wide gate at the bottom of it her mother passed through it without making any observation and in truth forgetting at that moment all that had happened since she had last done so the gate opened upon a road which according to long-established custom they crossed nearly at right angles and then mounted and descended half a dozen steps which conducted them into a wide and beautiful meadow now fragrant with the new-made hay that several wagons were conveying to augment a lofty rick in a distant corner of it it was not till mrs mowbray perceived another party seated round the base of a haycock which an empty wagon had nearly reached that she remembered all the circumstances which made every casual meeting a matter of importance and agitation to her the group which seemed a very merry one retained their places till two stout haymakers saucily but playfully presented their pitchforks as if to dislodge them they then started to their feet to the number of five and the park family recognized mrs richards her three daughters and major dalrymple i have not seen them yet helen said mrs mowbray with nervous trepidation how very wrong i have been to come so far why so my dearest mother replied helen i am sure it is less painful to meet thus than at those dreadful visits in the drawing-room but they have not called helen certainly we had better go back dear mamma it is not possible said fanny stepping forward to meet a favourite companion in the youngest miss richards you see rosalind has got to them already it was indeed too late to retreat nor did the wish to do so last long mrs richards pressed the hand of rosalind who had taken hers but throwing it off at the same moment hastened forward to greet the widowed friend she had wanted courage to seek her colour was heightened perhaps from feeling it possible that the cause of her absence had been mistaken but large tears trembled in her dark eyes and when she silently took the hand of mrs mowbray and pressed it to her lips every doubt upon the subject was removed major dalrymple and the three girls followed and the first moment of meeting over the two parties seemed mutually and equally pleased to join mrs richards was the only person in the neighbourhood to whom rosalind during her six months residence in it had at all attached herself there was something about her that had fascinated the young heiress's fancy and the circumstance of her being the only good second in a duet to be found within the circle of the mowbray park visitings had completed the charm with the two eldest mrs richards helen was on that sort of intimate footing which a very sweet-tempered unpretending girl of nineteen who knows she is of some consequence from her station and is terribly afraid of being supposed to be proud is sure to be with young ladies of nearly her own age blessed with most exuberant animal spirits and desirous of making themselves as agreeable to her as possible louisa and charlotte richards were fine tall showy young women with some aspirations after the reputation of talent but they were neither of them at all like their mother, who was at least six inches shorter than either of them, and aspired to nothing in the world but to make her three children happy. Little Mary, as her sisters still persisted to call her, approached much nearer to the stature, person, and character of Mrs. Richards. She was not quite so mignon in size, but she had her features, wore her eye, perhaps some feeling of her heart, and was, spite of all the struggles which her mother could make to prevent it, the darling of her eyes and the hope of her heart moreover little mary was as we have before hinted the especial friend of fanny mowbray the delights of a balmy evening in the flowery month of june the superadded delights of a hayfield and above all the supreme delight of unexpectedly meeting a party of friends were all enthusiastically descanted upon by the two tall mrs richards they had each taken one of helen's slight arms and borne her along over the stubble grass with a degree of vehemence which hardly left her breath to speak "'I do not think mamma is going any farther,' she continued to utter, while Miss Louisa stopped to tie a shoestring. "'Oh, but you must!' screamed Miss Charlotte, attempting to drag her onwards. singly. "'Stop, Charlotte, stop!' cried the eldest sister, snapping off the shoestring in her haste. "'You shall not carry her away from me! What a shame! Isn't it a shame when it is an age since we met?' There is nothing against which it is so difficult to rally as the exaggerated expression of feelings, in which we do not share.' the quiet helen could not lash herself into answering vehemence of joy and having smiled and smiled till she was weary she fairly slipped from her companions and hastened back with all the speed she could make to the tranquil party that surrounded her mother the lively young ladies galloped after her declaring all the way that she was the cruellest creature in the world mrs mowbray now said that she hoped they would all accompany her home to tea a proposal that met no dissenting voice but it was some time before the whole party could be collected for fanny mowbray and little mary were nowhere to be seen major dalrymple however who was taller even than the mrs richards by means of standing upon the last left haycock at length discovered them sitting lovingly side by side under the shelter of a huge lime-tree that filled one corner of the field he was dismissed to bring them up to the main body and executed his commission with great gallantry and good nature but not without feeling that the two very pretty girls he thus led away captive would much rather have been without him for as he approached their lair he perceived not only that they were in very earnest conversation but that various scraps of written paper lay in the lap of each which at his approach were hastily exchanged and conveyed to reticules pockets or bosoms beyond the reach of his eye they nevertheless smilingly submitted themselves to his guidance and in order to prove that he was not very troublesome fanny so far returned to their previous conversation as to say we must ask your judgment major dalrymple upon a point which we were disputing just before you joined us which do you prefer in the pulpit and out of it mr wallace or mr cartwright you were disputing the point were you he replied then i am afraid miss fanny i must give it against you for i believe i know mary's opinion already and i perfectly agree with her "'Then I shall say to you, as I say to her,' replied Fanny eagerly, "'that you are altogether blinded, benighted, deluded, and wrapped up in prejudice. "'I have great faith both in her sincerity and in yours, Major, "'and yet I declare to you that it does seem to me so impossible "'for any one to doubt the superiority of Mr. Cartwright in every way "'that I can hardly persuade myself you are in earnest.' what do you mean by every way miss fanny you cannot surely believe him to be a better man than our dear old vicar said the major we can none of us i think have any right to make comparisons of their respective goodness at least not as yet replied fanny when i say every way i meant in the church and in society on the latter point i suppose i ought to leave the question to be decided between you as in all cases of the kind where gentlemen are to be tried ladies alone i believe are considered competent to form the jury not that mary can have much right to pronounce a verdict either for i doubt if she has even been in a room with mr cartwright in her life yes i have said mary eagerly and he is perfectly delightful indeed i did not know you had seen him yes we met him at smith's oh you saw him in a shop did you and even that was sufficient to prove him delightful quite enough replied mary Coloring a little, as she observed Major Dalrymple's smile. "'The more you see of him, the more you will be aware of his excellence,' said Fanny, "'coming to the aid of her friend, and with an air of gravity that was intended to check the levity of the Major. "'I have seen him repeatedly at the park, Major Dalrymple, and under circumstances that gave sufficient opportunity to show the excellence of his heart, as well as the charm of his friendly, affectionate, and graceful manner.' "'He has certainly been a very handsome man,' said the Major.' has been exclaimed both the girls at once he is still very well-looking added the gentleman well-looking was again indignantly echoed by the ladies you do not think the term strong enough but when a man gets on the wrong side of forty it is i think as much as he can expect i don't care a farthing what his age may be cried mary do you miss mowbray if he were a hundred and forty with that countenance and that manner i should still think him the handsomest and most perfect person i ever saw dear mary replied fanny affectionately how exactly we feel alike about him i love you dearly for fighting his battle so warmly there is surely no fighting in the case said major dalrymple laughing at least not with me but have a care young ladies such perfect conformity of taste on these subjects does not always i believe tend to the continuance of female friendship what a sad thing it would be if those two little hands were some day to set pulling caps between their respective owners there is not the least danger of any such dismal catastrophe i assure you is there mary good heavens no replied little mary in a voice of great indignation what a hateful idea one reason why it is so delightful to love and admire mr cartwright rejoined fanny is that one may do it and talk of it too without any danger that rational people major Dalrymple should make a jest of it and talk the same sort of nonsense that everybody is so fond of doing whenever a lady is heard to express admiration for a gentleman but we may surely love and admire the clergyman of the parish indeed i think it is sort of a duty for every one to do so i assure you replied the major that i both loved and admired mr wallace exceedingly and that i shall gladly pay the same homage to his successor as soon as i know him to deserve it but cautious age and youth you know the song Mary." i know your meaning major dalrymple you are always boasting of your age but i don't know any one but yourself who thinks so very much of my antiquity and my wisdom just that but good heavens fanny mowbray who is that to whom your mother is speaking on the lawn it is mr cartwright cried fanny with animation and now major dalrymple you will have an opportunity of judging for yourself i fear not he replied taking out his watch it is now eight o'clock and mrs richard seldom walks much after nine the two girls now withdrew their arms and hastened forward to the group of which mr cartwright made one fanny mowbray held out her hand to him which was taken and held very affectionately for two or three minutes you have been enjoying this balmy air said he to her in a voice sweetly modulated to the hour and the theme it is heaven's own breath miss fanny and to such a mind as yours must utter accents worthy of the source from whence it comes fanny's beautiful eyes were fixed upon his face and almost seemed to say when you speak i'd have you do it ever i do not think he recollects me whispered mary richards in her ear i wish you'd introduce me fanny mowbray started but recovering herself said "'Mr. Cartwright, give me leave to introduce my friend Miss Mary Richards to you. She is one of your parishioners, and one that you will find capable of appreciating the happiness of being so.' Mr. Cartwright extended his pastoral hand to the young lady with a most gracious smile. "'Bless you both,' said he, joining their hands between both of his, "'to lead you together in the path in which we must all wish to go, would be a task that might give a foretaste of the heaven we sought.' he then turned towards mrs mowbray and with a look and tone which showed that though he never alluded to her situation he never forgot it he inquired how far she had extended her ramble much farther than i intended when i set out replied mrs mowbray but my children the weather and the hay altogether beguiled me to the bottom of farmer bennet's great meadow quite right quite right replied mr cartwright with something approaching almost to fervour of approbation this species of quiet courage of gentle submission it is just what i expected from mrs mowbray it is the sweetest incense that you can offer to heaven and heaven will repay it mrs mowbray looked up at his mild countenance and saw a moisture in his eye that spoke more tender pity than he would permit his lips to utter it touched her to the heart mrs richards who was something of a florist was examining with the assistance of rosalind some new geraniums that were placed on circular stands outside the drawing-room filling the spaces between the windows as this occupation had drawn them from the rest of the party from the time mr cartwright approached to join it they had not yet received that gentleman's salutation and he now went up to them miss torrington looks as if she were discoursing of her kindred are these fair blossoms the children of your especial care they are the children of the gardener and the greenhouse i believe she replied carelessly and stepped on to another stand mrs richards i believe said the graceful vicar taking off his hat to her i hope you are all well mr cotwright replied the lady following the steps of rosalind the two eldest mrs richards were still assiduously besieging the two ears of helen but as the subjects of which they discoursed did not always require the same answers she began to feel considerable fatigue from the exertion necessary for carrying on this double conversation and was therefore not sorry to see mr cartwright approach them which must she thought produce a diversion in her favour but she found that the parties were still personally strangers to each other for though his bow was general his address was only to herself and have you too miss mowbray been venturing upon as long a walk as the rest of the party we have all walked the same distance mr cartwright but i believe we none of us consider it to be very far we are all good walkers i rejoice to hear it for it is the way to become good christians where or how can we meet and meetly examine the works of the great creator so well as on the carpet he has spread and beneath the azure canopy which his hands have reared above us the mrs richards i believe may i beg an introduction miss mowbray mr cartwright miss richards miss charlotte richards said helen without adding another word i need hardly ask if you are walkers said the vicar as he passed a smiling and apparently an approving glance over their rather remarkable length of limb your friends miss mowbray look like young antelopes ready to bound over the fair face of nature and their eyes look as if there were intelligence within wherewith to read her aright "'Mamma is going into tea, I believe,' said Helen, moving off. The whole manner and demeanour of the two Mrs. Richards had changed from the moment Mr. Cartwright approached. They became quite silent and demure. But as they followed Helen, one on each side of him, they coloured with pleasure as he addressed a gentle word first to one and then to the other, and when, after entering the drawing-room, he left them for the purpose of making his farewell bow, or the semblance of it to Mrs. Mowbray, Miss Louisa whispered to Miss Charlotte, "'Little Mary is quite right. He is the most delightful man in the world.' "'You are not going to leave us, Mr. Cartwright,' said Mrs. Mowbray kindly. "'We are going to tea this moment. You are very obliging, but I had no intention of intruding on you thus. Pray do not call it an intrusion. We shall be always most happy to see you. I only wish your son and daughter were with us also.' my daughter thank you is a sad invalid and jacob generally wanders farther afield in such weather as this is that gentleman major dalrymple may i ask you to introduce me i shall have much pleasure in doing so i am sure he is a very amiable and estimable person mrs mowbray crossed the room towards him followed by the vicar the introduction took place and the two gentlemen conversed together for a few minutes on the ordinary topics of russia the harvest the slave trade and reform on every subject except the harvest which mr cartwright despatched by declaring that it would be peculiarly abundant the reverend gentleman expressed himself with an unusual flow of words in sentences particularly well constructed yet nevertheless his opinion seemed enveloped in a mist and when mrs richards afterwards asked the major his opinion of the new vicar he replied that he thought his manners very gentlemanlike and agreeable but that he did not perfectly remember what opinions he had expressed on any subject At first the company seemed inclined to disperse themselves in knots about the room, but by degrees Mr. Cartwright very skilfully contrived, on one pretense or another, to collect them all round a table that was covered with the usual incitements to talk, and the conversation became general. At least Mr. Cartwright was very generally listened to, the major did not speak at all, and the ladies did little more than agree with and applaud from time to time the placid, even dulcet flow of words which fell like a gentle rivulet from the lips of their new vicar this description indeed would not apply quite generally to all the ladies but the majority in his favour was five to three and with this advantage that whereas his admirers were loud and eloquent in their expressions of approval the minority contented themselves by preserving silence chapter eight